Greetings and salutations, and welcome to the Future of Law, Good Lawyers podcast series dedicated to exploring what is and what could be when it comes to the business of law and how we as lawyers can improve access to legal services for everyone. Each week, we interview thought leaders in the legal profession on how lawyers can evolve with the times and ultimately live more fulfilled lives. Our guest today is Aaron Cowling. Aaron is a freelance lawyer and CEO and founder of Flex Legal Network, a company that matches busy lawyers, law firms, and in-house counsel with freelance lawyers to assist with the overflow legal work on a project basis. Previously, she was a corporate commercial litigator on Bay Street in Toronto. Aaron also taught legal research and writing at the University of Toronto Faculty of Law and was the regional alumni advisor providing confidential career coaching to new lawyers for the University of Ottawa Faculty of Law. On top of all of this, Aaron produced an award-winning law blog, currently on pause due to being busy, and I certainly can understand that working at a startup, but still writes for several legal publications. Our wide-ranging conversation covers Aaron's journey from big law to starting Flex Legal, her experiences working as a lawyer and starting her own company, her take on the current state of the legal profession and where it is heading, and her advice to young lawyers still figuring out their career path. It was an absolute pleasure having Aaron on the podcast, and I hope you enjoyed today's discussion as much as I know I did. For more on Aaron, you can connect with her on LinkedIn and follow her on Twitter. Links, as always, in the show notes. All right, that's it for me. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Aaron, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm wonderful. Thank you for having me. Diving right in because we have a lot of things to cover. Maybe just give the uh, audience a quick introduction of who you are and what projects you're currently working on, just in case they don't know. Yeah, so I'm Erin Cowling. I am a lawyer. I was called to the bar in 2005. I currently am a freelance lawyer and the CEO and founder of Flex Legal Network, Inc. And what we are is we're a freelance lawyer network. So we match freelance lawyers with busy lawyers, law firms, and in-house departments across Canada. And just for people who don't understand what a freelance lawyer is, or maybe have never heard that terminology before, we're lawyers who, instead of working for just one law firm, we work with a variety of lawyers or law firms and help them with their overflow legal work. So if a law firm has a trial coming up, but they don't want to hire a full-time associate just to help with that trial and let them go, they'll hire a freelance lawyer to kind of pop in, help with that trial. And then if they don't need us again for another six months, they reach out for our help then. Right. Yeah, no, a a fantastic idea, obviously. And I'm guessing that over the last couple of years, especially during the pandemic, where people have gotten more comfortable with these sort of remote work and and maybe using some unconventional hires, have you seen an uptick in, in the demand for your services? Definitely. So Flex Legal was started in 2015. And I think one of the major uphill kind of battles I had was just explaining to law firms that it's okay that our freelance lawyers work remotely. They can do a, you know some drafting at home. They can do whatever they need to do at home. There's the technology available. Some lawyers are still hesitant about technology and they kind of want that body in the office with them. But the whole right. point of a freelance lawyers are saving those overhead costs of not having to have that person in the office. So there was a lot of handholding and explaining how this was something safe people can work from home. There's this thing called Zoom that no one had heard of. <laughs> but then the pandemic hit and that that conversation I don't even have anymore with any of the hiring law firms. It's just they all know that work can be done remotely. Oh, that's excellent. I guess if there is a silver lining to the pandemic that we're still currently in, it is just that, that the hand has been forced on sometimes reluctant parties within our profession to uh, potentially 
make some decisions they otherwise wouldn't have. Uh, and it's great to hear that that adoption curve seems to be increasing for you. Is it difficult for lawyers when they first get hired by, let's say, a firm or a company or whatever the case may be to, like, how quickly can you get them up to speed? Because certainly, as with any job, it usually takes a moment or two. How do you handle that? And is there any, any difficulties around that? Well, the first thing, it's about the lawyers I bring on to the network. I make sure that they have experience as quote unquote, real lawyering. Um, so they know what it's like to have their own clients. They know what it's like to dock it already. They have a good grasp on the law so that they can, when they're hired by uh, a law firm for a project, they can just jump right in pretty much with not too much handholding. There may be a few things about, you know, some precedents that the law firm might want you to use or, but the whole point is I try to avoid that issue of, the difficulty of onboarding with the law firm by making sure who I bring on to Flex Legal already has the experience that they need. Amazing. As you very well know, uh, we have a similar type of, of business here at Good Lawyer, obviously focused on a, a little bit of a different segment than, than yours. That being said, I think we're trying to solve many of the same problems. So I'm curious, when you do uh, recruit these lawyers to, to be on the Flex Legal uh, website, how do you go about that? Do you go through a vetting process? Like, How do you make sure that they do have the, the types of experiences that you're looking for? Yeah. So when we first started, I had a minimum of 10 years experience, but then I found that was kind of a little too high. Uh, it was working. We had some great people, but then I just needed to bring on some more bodies. So I lowered it to be, be five. So most, most of our lawyers between, have between five to 10 years of actual lawyering experience before they switch over to freelance lawyering. Um, so the process, yeah, it's like any other really job interview. There's uh, an application, CV, writing samples. We do uh, an in-depth interview, references. But really, it's once that first project is done with a law firm, we seek feedback from the law firm, and we we anything that we need to provide by way of feedback or to the uh, to the freelance lawyer, we help and we coach them along if there are any issues as well. Amazing. Yeah. And uh, obviously that client feedback is uh, so critical without question. That's one of the things that we do too. And, and one of the main ways that we stay on top, making sure that quality services are being delivered. So I guess just kind of to, to sum, summarize this, who would be a good fit? Like what type of lawyers are you recruiting right now? If they are interested in uh, learning more about your platform? Yeah, for sure. So because I'm a litigator and uh, I litigated for about seven years before I, I started Flex Legal, my network here, I'm in Toronto and Ontario was mostly litigation. So for, for the first few years of Flex Legal, the majority of our work was litigation based. So the work would be drafting pleadings, factum, legal research, the odd court appearance when court was actually in person, litigation strategy, all that kind of stuff that comes with litigation. So we did do a big push for litigators. And then as we grew, we had a, a lot of interest from firms who wanted the business side of law as well. So we brought on some business lawyers too, to help corporate commercial lawyers, but mostly we are still probably 80% litigation based. So we're, we're constantly looking for litigators who have experience in really any area of litigation. So whether it's just general civil litigation, family, estates, employment law was really big during the pandemic. We couldn't fill all of our requests for employment lawyers, unfortunately, and just people for, for the type of person they are. I think we need someone to join who is entrepreneurial because they are left on their own. We don't micromanage, right? We make sure we bring on great people. We're here if you need help. But we're not constantly, you know, knocking on your door saying, did you get this done? That's up to you. You you have full say in which projects you take on. You have full say on how you do it, when you work, how you work, all of that. So you have to kind of be someone who's good with time management and deadlines and, and all that. 
Right. Yeah. Very similar to the Good Lawyer platform, or we don't have enough resources, frankly, to micromanage. But it does go back to what you were saying before about the importance of bringing on the right people, because that's kind of we're, we're learning, and sometimes the hard way. You know, that's eighty percent of the battle right there. And then, are you one of the lawyers that can be hired through your platform, or have you switched completely to the the management side of things? Full transparency. I was one of the lawyers up until the pandemic hit, and then my work kind of dried up at the law firms I was working with. So then I went full-time just managing CEO staff. I brought on a full-time employee to help me. I have a team. And now it's been probably about a year since I've done actual legal work and I'm missing it. I am like dying to take some (laughs) stuff back on. So 2022, if I see something come in that interests me, you may get me as the lawyer helping you. So. Wow. I guess once that litigation gets in your blood, it's, uh, it's hard to kick. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know that's, uh, that's great to hear. So I guess kind of switching gears more to how Flex Legal came to be. And you have a very interesting story because uh, you started at a firm, as it sounds like many of the lawyers on your website did as well. But I would just love to hear a little bit of your story about how you grew up in the, in the legal profession and then what problem you saw that started sort of sparked this idea. Yeah. So just for some background, I'm, I'm the first person in my family to go to university. I've never met another lawyer. So Bay Street, where I ended up, I didn't even know what that was. So I kind of fell into my Bay Street big firm life by accident. So I applied because everyone else in law school was applying to these firms I had never heard of. And luckily, I landed a job. So I summered articles and I was an associate at a larger firm here in Toronto for about seven years. And you know what, at the beginning, I I actually loved it because, you know, I was single, I had no responsibilities working 16 hours a day on interesting files, like I was eating it up, but it's not sustainable, or at least it's not, it wasn't sustainable for me. There are, I'm not one to sit here and bash all big firms by any means. It's, I think it's a personality thing. If if that's the life you want to live, I think many people thrive in that environment, But after, you know, some years and getting married and having children and wanting to leave the office at 6 p.m. at night, even though I would come home, put my kids to bed and then log back on again, sometimes it's just not compatible with the expectations at those firms. And so I left, but I didn't, we parted ways. Yeah, I was about after about seven years, and I didn't really think through my next career steps. So I accepted the very first job offer that came my way, and it was at an estate litigation boutique. And I am not made for estate litigation. There's a lot of emotions, a lot of brothers and sisters fighting over dead mummy's money. And I lasted about seven months there. It was just too much for me and emotionally and just I just it just was not the right fit. And I was pregnant at the time with my third. So I quit without another job lined up. And everyone was like, what are you doing? You should have another job. But I'm like, no one's going to hire a five-month pregnant lady, even though I know you can't discriminate against us. So I was home, but I was bored. And so I thought, you know what? I know some friends who have their own law firms. Maybe I'll just reach out. They have some little bit of work for me to do. So I started drafting blog posts for some lawyers while I was off. Because the plan was I was going to have my daughter then I was going to go apply back to the big firms or apply to another firm. And then I was writing these blog posts and then someone reached out and said, can you help me with this factum? I'm like, of course, I can help you with a factum. So I drafted a factum. And then slowly, one by one, these little bits of work kept coming in from various law firms that I knew through networking or through just people I went to law school with. 
And then the time came to kind of apply back for a full-time job and my stomach just sank. I thought, I don't want to go back to working a thousand hours a week and giving up my weekends and, you know, responding to emails at three in the morning and all the other stuff I was used to doing. And so I thought, well, maybe I can make a job out of this working piecemeal or project or freelance for other law firms. So I put up a website called Cowling Legal Freelance. I printed off some business cards. I gave myself one year. I said, if I can make enough money to justify this, I won't go back to a law firm. And I went to every single lawyer networking event I could go to and just said, hey, if you need help, I'm here. Um, I'm not a salesy person. So I just did it very naturally. Like, this is what I do. And I got so busy that I was turning down work. And then that's how Flex Legal was born, because I'm like, there must be other lawyers out here who want to practice in this way. And there's clearly a need for law firms who just need occasional help. Absolutely. Now, so many things you said there that I, I want to revisit, but uh, <laughs> I'm guessing maybe to start that the, the name Flex wasn't a coincidence. It, it seems like you were trying to develop something a little bit different than what the legal profession traditionally offers. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. That's 100%. We're flexible for the lawyers who work with us and we're flexible for the law firms who hire us. I found after I had my, my children, I was offered like an alternative work arrangement with the law firms. I just feel like those, those don't work. Women, it's, sometimes it's men, but most often it's women. Yeah. They accept a lower target, but then they end up working crazy hours. Like part-time in law is nine to five. Like really, that's part-time. So I wanted to provide something that was a lot more flexible and it's not, and I don't want to say that lawyers with flex legal are just parents. It's not, it's people who either have elderly parents at home that they're looking after, or we had people who had a a tech startup that they were doing, but they wanted to stay in law a little bit, or you have just other, other side hustles going on that you just need that flexibility that working in law, you can't normally find. A hundred percent. And having worked at a a bigger firm myself, I can certainly resonate with that, that, you know, you're expected to be there when needed, evenings, weekends included. And uh, I think that's one of the bigger frustrations of, you know, many associates and even partners is that it is this kind of never ending stream at times, or at least it can feel that way. So it sounds like though that you had an overall a fairly positive experience at a big firm, but it was just obviously life circumstances that that forced you to make uh, a decision there. I'm curious, is there anything that these bigger shops can do? Because you mentioned it, it is it is very difficult at times to even do like part-time because like you said, part-time is a normal person's full-time. But is that just the way big firms are structured? And if you want a, a different arrangement, big law probably isn't the way to go there. Or is there something that these big firms can do? Because as I'm sure you've seen over the past few months, especially when it comes to you know women and pregnancy and motherhood and things like that in particular, it's becoming fairly obvious that that is one of the, there's many factors obviously, but that's one of the bigger ones as to why you don't see as many senior partners that are women and, and other issues that emerge from that. What needs to be done in your opinion, especially with someone who has had that, you know, that long to, to see that system? I think there needs to be an overall complete mindset change with people in big law. And unfortunately, I don't know if that's happening. And the reason I say that is because for people in big law, and I'm guilty of this too, you it's an echo chamber. And so when I was there, I was told this is the best place to be. This is where the best lawyers are. And anyone who left big law to go even just in-house, oh, they're too weak. They couldn't cut it in big law. And when you hear that, you even I started believing it. Like, and that's farthest from what I ever really thought. But when you're hearing this all the time, and so I see, 
even my own colleagues who are still in big law, they're thinking this way now, right? Because they've been there for so long, 15 years later, 20 years later, you've been in that lifestyle. So you're now feeding that same kind of crap to the, to the summer students. So I don't know how to change that. Like, I know there's lip service and I know there's people in HR and management who are saying there's making changes, but the actual partners who are giving the work to the associates who might not be on the diversity committee or on the whatever committee, are they changing their thought process? I don't know. I don't know. I've been out for, I say out as if I've been out for, oh God, almost 10 years now. So I can't, I don't want to say that things aren't better. They probably are hopefully, but I just, from anecdotally, from people I know who are still there, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And and, and in fairness to those firms, it is a demanding job that does require hours. And that's just kind of the nature of the beast in a certain way too. So I, I, you know, I certainly don't want to pretend that this is a simple solution. I don't have the solutions either. So I can, I can't, uh, you know, say too much except to say that providing alternatives like what you're doing, I think just like how the pandemic sort of forced the hand uh, to accelerate certain technology usages and things like that, perhaps having enough of these alternative ways to practice will force that change from, even from a, you know, a bottom up perspective, which obviously excites us a good lawyer as well. Yeah, um, I, I hope so. I, I just like, I do, I just want to say it. Like, I don't want to please. bash big firms, like I said, but I think it is a business and there is a bottom line yeah. they want to make money and they have to be competitive. If clients are demanding 24 seven lawyering, then the lawyers who choose to work at big firms, that's what they have to provide to the clients if they still want to bring in the money. So I just, just a little story back when I was at the big firm, I remember there was a new policy that came into effect where everyone had to give their cell phone numbers to their clients. I know today that's normal, but back then that was kind of unheard of. And I'm like, I I refused. And I was the only person in the whole firm to refuse. And the managing partner, somebody on some committee came in and sat down. They're like, I know I I get what you're trying to do. You're trying to set a work-life balance, Aaron, but we have to be competitive. And I'm like, the only people who have my cell phone number are like my mom, my boyfriend at the time, my sister, like no one, no client needs to be calling me after hours. And if they call and left a voicemail on my work phone, it comes to me as an email anyway. So like, and I stood my ground, but I, I, I'm sure I had a, a black mark in my file after that, but it's just, it just showed me then how my, my feelings and my personality and my beliefs just were not, I was butting heads with the firm. Even then I could tell. Big firms are a tough place to be an individual, that's for sure. You're certainly expected to join the ranks, so to speak, but uh, good for you for holding your crown because I can tell you firsthand that I folded on much less than that. So uh, that's it's always uh, encouraging to hear that there are people out there fighting the good fight. But uh, moving on to, obviously, when you started building this business, I, I'm quite impressed with the fact that you did two things that really stood out to me. One is that you gave yourself a year. And I think that that is just so important, especially when you're um, starting on any sort of entrepreneurial journey, I did that very thing with Good Lawyer because I think sometimes we build these risks up in our head to be these monsters that honestly, once you get out there, they're not as bad typically, right? And so just giving yourself that permission to do it for a year and if and if everything falls through, you can always go back. Mm-hmm. And secondly, just your networking and building that online profile and everything and, and the importance of that. Maybe just speak a little bit like how did, were you coached in that or was that just something that came naturally to you? Yeah, I... You know what? I I didn't ever think I was entrepreneurial or had any kind of business sense. Like my undergrad degree was in English literature with a minor in women's studies. Like I didn't take a business course in my life or a networking course or anything like that, but it just kind of came as common sense to me. How am I going to get work if no one knows who I am or how to reach me? 
So how do I let people know who I am and how to reach me? Well, obviously you need a website and obviously you need to get out there. So I'm not an extrovert, so I did have to push myself, but I just thought, well, who's my market? My market is other lawyers. I know how to find other lawyers. They're at the bar associations. They're at the advocate society there, you know, so I just went to where other lawyers were and just had natural conversations with them. And then, yeah, just from there, and social media played a big role as well. I, I wasn't that comfortable with it at the beginning, but just even posting now and again, just to kind of get your name out there and your name associated with what you're doing. LinkedIn, Twitter, it was just seemed natural and an easy place to kind of build that profile. That's fantastic. And couldn't agree more, even though I rarely take my own medicine in that, and I should be devoting more time to that, but that's exactly right. You know, you said it's common sense, but I, I see a lot of people who don't do that, those steps. And they're like kind of the fundamentals in a lot of ways. Like you just said, if they don't know about you, they're never going to ask. So let's jump into actually building this company. Now, obviously it started with just you and a website and taking on a file here and there. When did this start becoming a business to you? And, and what did that journey look like sort of saying, oh, this actually might be a thing that I can do long-term. That must've been, I'm guessing a, a bit of a, a process to get to that point, but I'd love just to hear how that went and then how you decided to start conceptualizing what you were building and bringing obviously more people onto the journey. Yeah, it really started as a side hustle. My main business was my own freelance lawyer business, which was Cowling Legal Freelance. So that was just me and doing my thing. And then because like I said earlier, I, I was just turning downward, we needed some more bodies. And there's obviously other freelance lawyer companies in the world and the US and the UK are a little further ahead than Canada when it comes to these things. And there's a company called Montage Legal in California run by two lovely ladies. And I had some phone calls with them and they were on the cover of Forbes magazine with their freelance lawyer company. And I think it was like then there, it was like, well, this could actually be a business. I can see from these other people how this is something that there's a need in Canada I've been doing this on my own and I can actually grow this into a business, but it really stayed as more of a side hustle for a long time because I think I'm a little risk averse. I know I'm a, I'm an entrepreneur per se, but I don't necessarily, I'm not one of these, these fail fast kind of startups. So I was riding, you know, two horses with one saddle for a very long time where I was like, well, I don't want to give up my own practice. So it, it was, it was detrimental to me, I think, because I didn't have hundred percent focus on one or the other. So really the pandemic focused me to go all in on flex legal. Like it was, we, our revenue was doubling every year anyways, but it really was not a concerted effort on my part. It was really, I was focusing time on it, but probably, you know, less than 50% of my time was on flex legal. And then when I went all in, in 2020, that's when I was like, okay, this is like a real business. This is, I have employee, I have independent contractors, I have lawyers working with me. Uh, we have clients across Canada. I have to start treating it like it's an actual business. And that's, that's kind of my, my progression. I think I waited too long to treat it like a real business instead of a side hustle. That, that's really interesting. So I guess like you mentioned, you came out with an English degree, like not exactly, and I mean this in a good way, but not exactly like the prototypical entrepreneur with a computer science background or, you know what I mean? Like that type of thing. What, what advice would you have for people that maybe are in similar situations saying, Hey, look uh, this whole entrepreneurship thing. I, I think I want to start something, but I don't have the pedigree. I don't have the experience. I don't know what I'm doing, which you better get used to that. But what would you say to these people? Like, how did you, how were you able to bridge that gap? Yeah, a couple things. I always have two books on the go. One is a detective murder mystery and one is a business book. 
So I'm always having two on my nightstand. And I feel like some of the business books I've read really introduced me to the world of entrepreneurship, like The E-Myth, Revisited, anything by Donald Miller, the story brand stuff, uh, Mike Michalowicz. Like they're all for, I feel like they're written for people who didn't necessarily go to business school. So those really helped me understand the world of business. Traction by Gino Wickman is another one. And also I joined a, an accelerator program called Ella through York University here in Toronto, which really helped as well. It had some one-on-one coaching. We had like a mastermind group of other women entrepreneurs, but there's lots of programs out there that are masterminds and for entrepreneurs in general, it doesn't necessarily have to be just women. So I found that really helped as well. And then just informal mentorship through people I know who have small businesses who aren't lawyers. It's nice to talk to people who aren't lawyers and and get their perspective on things. Yeah, that's incredible. And, you know, again, one of the things that just sounds like you did very well is jumping all in. Like it sounds like you didn't hesitate. And I know that that too is one of the more common issues I think entrepreneurs run into is that self-doubt that that just almost analysis paralysis where uh, sometimes, you know, you, you hide out in your basement for a few weeks. And I think it happens to everybody, but obviously you were able just to, to keep going. Yeah, I think like worst case scenario, it fails. Okay. You're, you say you're not risk averse, or that you are risk averse, but that's a pretty great attitude to have. And I think one that uh, you probably need when, when uh, starting your own business. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can always spin something if, yeah, you just try and think, well, how can I spin this if it fails? You know, just come up with a good spin story and you'll be fine. There you go. Absolutely. Storytelling. It's always important. So picking up in the pandemic, how did that go? I'm sure it came as a shock to you as it did to many of us, but obviously you turned that into an opportunity to grow your your company. I'd love to hear uh, the story behind that. Yeah. So It was difficult at first, I'm not going to lie, because all the courts closed down. And when most of your work is litigation based, uh, everything kind of went on hold. So for the first or the second quarter of 2020 was probably our worst quarter ever. Everything just completely dried up. And that's when I decided to really go all in because I had time on my hands. And uh, it helped me really refocus the, the company and focus on growing it. I just had more time to kind of figure it out and do the big picture planning that I didn't have time before, because before when we were so busy, I was just doing the day-to-day, day-to-day, day-to-day and not stepping back and saying, where do I want to send this company? Where do I want to grow this company? So the pandemic was kind of a blessing in disguise in in that way as well. Um, And then, yeah, so I brought on a a director of operations, Maggie Piper, and she's been wonderful. I think the pandemic helped me realize that as well, that I needed some help. I couldn't just run this whole thing myself. And then, like I said earlier, it's, it's been helpful not having to explain the remote lawyering part of it. So that was actually another, another silver lining to the pandemic too. Right. Absolutely. And I assume it's just been happily ever after since then, right? <laughs> There's no issues at all running, uh, running a business. Yeah. yeah. No, but I mean, we've, we've, watched your growth, you know, over the past couple of years, because again, it's funny, we get asked this sometimes, like, uh, and not to you specifically, but aren't they your competitor? Why, like, why are you kind of chatting with them? And I'm like, I guess in some ways, sure, you can see it that way. But it's almost like uh, the, the analogy I like to use is it's like the craft beer industry, where it's like, yeah, Sure, maybe you're a different brand of uh, of beer, but it's it's sort of like, yeah, you're all in this together, though, building this new thing and a new way of, of coming out. And in that way, we're kind of supporting each other, too, because at the end of the day, what we're really hoping to do is provide that new way of, of being able to practice and giving people those alternative options that they did not previously have. Because like either you went to a small firm where you had to do everything, you had to run the whole company as well as be a lawyer, or you went to the big firm where, you know, as you've already very well articulated the long hours and everything else. Flexibility was not a big 
part of that. Uh, obviously, you've found a way to do that. And I'm curious now, looking back, I guess if you could erase the other obligations that you have in life, do you enjoy this way of practicing more, this flexibility uh, that you have versus, let's say, that uh, big firm approach where, sure, you're fed the work, but you also seem to enjoy that. So I'm curious just to see if, I guess, if the flexibility beat the prestige of the the big law firm or, or how you view that in retrospect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to as well. Remind me to go back up. I'll answer this first and I'll go back to my other thought. Um, Yes. I'm a bit of a control freak. So I love having the freedom and control over when I work, how I work. And I tell people, even if I didn't have children, this is the ideal way to practice. I can take a Wednesday off if I want to take a Wednesday off. Obviously I still have when I am practicing as a freelance lawyer, I still have clients, but they're lawyers and lawyers understand, right? So this, this ties into the, what I wanted to go back to. We're not necessarily competitors, good lawyer and flex legal, because our markets are very different. We only work with other lawyers and law firms. And I have to try and make that clear to people. And you guys work with end clients. Um, So we don't work with end clients. So if you're a regular non-lawyer happy (laughs) person out there, don't come to us because we can't help you. Our market is only, we only help other lawyers. So working with other lawyers, there's actually, there's benefits to that because when I was a regular client, I could sit with a with my end client for about an hour. They're telling me their problem. And then I think I have all the information. I think I understand what's going on. And then at the very end of the interview, they're like, oh, there's one more thing I need to tell you. And that changes the whole landscape of the legal issue. But lawyers get the problem. So when they give you the legal issue to, to research or the fact right. to draft or whatever, it's already packaged nicely. Like you don't have to get through the other stuff. So yes, I think this is the ideal way to practice, but I'm biased. <laughs> well, no, that's a, it's a great way to be biased. So what's the future? Where is Flex Legal going? What do you see on the horizon and, and what's exciting you these days? Oh, I have no idea. I'm horrible. <laughs> this is like I'm not a business person. All these books are like, have your one-year plan, your three-year plan, your 10-year goal or whatever. And I, we did do a in December, Maggie and I sat down and we did do our planning for uh, one year, three year and 10 year. And I think it's really to keep doing what we're doing. Uh, We did dabble a little bit in freelance law clerks and paralegals in 2020 and 2021. I think we're going to kind of focus more just on the lawyers and maybe the paralegals going forward. You know, you try things, (laughs) they don't necessarily work out. So you pivot back to where you're going and you know, we may grow our uh, our platform. Uh, right now, it's it's not 100% tech savvy. We've kept an eye on things going on in the United States and another company that started up in Canada where it was literally an online platform like you, like Good Lawyer, but it didn't get much traction. And I think it's because, and I'm totally speculating here, for you, Good Lawyer, your end clients are tech savvy people, entrepreneurs, people who are looking for a lawyer in a much more convenient way than the traditional way. Because our clients are lawyers, I don't know if they're comfortable going onto a platform, having another lawyer doing their work when their end client is relying on it. And I think it's 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 a lack of lack of vision for these lawyers. I wish they would think this way, but I don't know how I don't know how much of an uptick it'll take. So we'll see. This is this is maybe down the line. We'll see. Absolutely. And and I, again, I'm laughing only because I fully understand, A, that sometimes uh, the fastest way forward is taking a step back and saying, okay, that didn't work. Let's let's try this over here now. But but secondly, the legal profession is complex, not yeah. only from a regulatory perspective, but mm-hmm. uh, you know the way lawyers kind of approach and think and the fact that they're traditionally a little bit on the risk averse side. 
all of these kind of play together in this uh, stew that makes it a little bit difficult to innovate at times. And, and you do need to stick with it. That persistence is key, you know? So, uh, and obviously I think experimenting in all of these types of things is, is fantastic because, you know, even if it doesn't work now, it may work in a couple more years and you will have that experience already built up, which is, uh, you know, obviously exciting. My final question related to your business indirectly, if, if you have advice for young lawyers coming out of law school or maybe early in their career, you know, what would you tell them knowing what you now know and clearly having pretty good experiences on, on both sides of the coin, but I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah. Looking back now, if I could talk to Erin, who graduated law school in 2004, I would tell her being a lawyer and working in a law firm is not the same as being in school. So when I was in school, I worked hard. I kept my head down. I kept to myself. You know, I, I got those A's because I worked really hard in a law firm. If you keep your head down and you just do the work and you're not out there kind of you know, tooting your own horn and getting your name noticed, which is not comfortable for a lot of us, you're not going to just automatically get those A's. You're not going to get those amazing files and whatever, like the mediocre lawyer down the hall who goes golfing with the senior partner on the weekend may get those excellent files. Meanwhile, you're the better lawyer. I didn't, I didn't recognize the game I had to play, but I don't want to say it's a game. I think it's more, no one's going to know you're a great lawyer if you don't tell them. Right. So it kind of comes back to, getting your name out there and building a profile and you can do it in a way that's not sleazy. So I, I didn't get involved in, in bar in the Ontario bar association. I didn't get involved in young lawyer stuff. And I wish I had of, I wish I had gone back and at least I felt like I had no time, but even if you just make the time to go to one networking event a month or write one article a month for either the client newsletter or something, just to kind of start building that profile. I think that's a good thing. I wish I had have done. And also Meeting other lawyers and understanding different practice areas, especially for people who don't have any lawyers in their family. I, I didn't even know what a litigator was. Like, I thought all lawyers went to court. I didn't realize, like, but, like I didn't know. I just knew what I knew from yeah. TV, right? So until you know what an M&A lawyer does or what an admin lawyer does, like, you, you don't know until you talk to these people. So you might just pick an area of law that doesn't suit your personality, um, because that's what you just think you should do. But you, you may be a horrible litigator, but you may be an excellent corporate commercial lawyer. Right. I think that's fantastic advice. And that being said, I still don't know what admin lawyers do. So, you know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I actually came from a, a fairly similar background where there was no lawyers in my family. And I'm not even joking. I think the first networking event I went to in law school, the only firm I recognized was Blake's. And that's because my cousin happened to work there at that time. And I went to one of their parties. Beyond that, I just saw a bunch of different letters and had no clue about the landscape, no idea. I fluked my way into a job, frankly. But to your point, one of the things that did help me without me realizing it was that, yeah, I got out there and, you know, uh, and that is, that is hugely important. And again, it's, it's maybe not a perfect system, but people certainly want to work with people that they like and know. And sometimes that to your point, and maybe unfairly that Trump's maybe some pure legal skills at time. And I know that that's a source of frustration for, for many, but I think your, your analogy to it being a game and while it certainly does have elements of it. And uh, even if you don't like playing it, it's, it's, a, you know, it, it's certainly out there. So uh, some great tips there. Just for my final question, unless have I missed anything before I ask this, anything about your company or about the journey that maybe I skipped over that you think would be important. I always like to give our guests just one last opportunity since I'm uh, not always hitting everything. Yeah, no, I think, I think we've covered everything. We've covered how it started. We covered, I guess, just our, our whole idea behind flex legal is to really make lawyers love practicing law again and to make it less stressful for lawyers. I just, 
I don't want people to have this negative impression of the legal profession. It doesn't have to be. And if I can keep people in the legal profession who really want to be there, but because of where they are, how they're practicing, they feel like they have to leave the legal profession. If I can help them find a way to practice in a way that suits their life, that that's, that makes me happy. I just, that when I get an email from one of my freelance lawyers saying, oh my God, Aaron, I'm so glad I found Flex Legal. You know, I love what I'm doing now. That just keeps me happy for days on end. Well, damn it. That was so good. I might have to cut that part and put it right at the end. Cause I think that's like a perfect finish. And I, 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 uh, I asked that question too early here. So that one's on me, but that's a fantastic answer. And I love it. Uh, it does sort of lead into the final question I do have, uh, which I ask all of our guests, if there's one thing that you could change about the legal profession, you have dictatorial control. What would that be? Oh Lord. There's so many things I could change about the legal profession from a lawyer standpoint or from the end user standpoint. You can take that however you want. It can be from a culture to tech to whatever, however you want to interpret that question. It's, it's broad intentionally, which I know it can be a little infuriating, but uh, just, yeah, what's on your mind. I think we've already touched a lot on what I would change from the lawyer perspective. I think from the end user perspective, I think we're out of reach for a lot of Um, everyday people out there who need lawyers to help them. And I find that it's appalling Mm -hmm. who can't afford our services, who uh, don't even understand their legal rights. I think, I think we could do a better job of making law more accessible to people who actually need us. And I don't know, I, I could get into a hundred things of ways we can do that, but I think that should be our number one priority right now. Here, here. I'm not even going to try and make a joke about that because that was perfectly said. So uh, thank you very much. Aaron, it's been an absolute pleasure to get to know you. I've been following you and your company for uh, quite some time. So it's been an absolute uh, thrill for me. For those who may be interested in either finding out more about your company or following you, where's the best place they can find you? Yeah, uh, you can come to our website, flexlegal.ca, or you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram, flexlegalnet, I think is our at handle, or at Howling Aaron, if you want to find me too. I'm also on LinkedIn, so reach out uh, and happy to connect. Perfect. And we'll throw all that in the show notes as well. Thank you once again for coming on. Certainly appreciate your time. And, uh, you know, we look forward to following your company and, and hopefully even working together in the future. Yeah, that would be great. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a rating and be sure to check out goodlawyer.ca slash podcast where you'll find every episode along with the show notes and resources. If you or a lawyer you know would like to find out more information about practicing on the Good Lawyer platform, be sure to check out goodlawyer.ca slash four dash lawyers for all the details. Links as always in the show notes. Thanks for listening.